you know, James one twenty is true that yeah. man's anger often doesn't exemplify the righteousness of God. But I think sometimes we've taken that verse and weaponized it against people that are rightly and justly angry. Hey, and welcome back to the All Things All People podcast. I'm glad that you're listening in. I'm glad that you're supporting the vision of All Things All People, which is to raise up generations of Christian thinkers. Because today on the show, we're talking to Pastor John Onwajekwa. John is a pastor out of the West End of Atlanta, but he's also a uh, businessman, part owner in Portrait Coffee, bringing industry business back into the West End while also providing an amazing cup of coffee. Uh, He's a podcaster. He's got a podcast called Four in the Morning. This guy amazingly wakes up at 4 a.m. every single day, and his podcast, Four in the Morning, is a place where he, you know, kind of just puts his thoughts, and uh, you need to go check it out. It's really, really good, and John is uh, really, really good with words. He's a council member for the Gospel Coalition. He's an author, a family man, but most interestingly for me, he's a pastor, like I said, and that's really why I wanted to have him on the show. He he goes about pastoring in a really effective way, uh, planted in the West End with, with, as he says in the interview, a phenomenal team, um, and is really just seeking to, to do some things for the kingdom in a place that uh, is very different than where I pastor. Um, I pastor in Western North Carolina. And at, at a certain point in the show, we start talking about those differences. We start talking about the, the issues of racial justice that have been prevalent uh, in the last couple years. And we even talk about the dynamic and the inequity of the fact that I don't have to deal with racial justice as much as he does and, and what the problem inherently is with that. And so when we get to those topics, honestly, hopefully what you'll hear from me is that I keep my mouth shut and just listen to John because he had a lot to teach me and, and I soaked it all up and, and, and really learned a lot. So, so I think you're going to learn a lot too. Pastor John is an amazing guy with an amazing story. And I think you're going to be blessed by it. Make sure, though, uh, so that you don't miss anything else, to follow all things, all people on Instagram and social media. Um, and if you have questions, uh, if you want to reach out in any way, but especially for questions for future crew episodes where me and the guys dig into questions about theology, Bible, life, the church, uh, other religions, everything else, whatever your question is, email me at jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org with that question. But the most important part of today's show is today's show. And so we're going to get to our to Christian thinker of the day, Pastor John Onwachekwa. My next guest is a native of Houston, Texas, born into a Nigerian home where the gospel was cherished deeply and modeled excellently, as he says. He is a council member of the Gospel Coalition, the author of books like Prayer, How Praying Together Shapes the Church, and regularly writes writes for the Gospel Coalition website. Interestingly, uh, the only pastor I know that has co-founded a coffee company, which is Portrait Coffee, based in Atlanta. There we go. Yeah. Um, He served at churches in both Texas and Georgia, and in 2015, 
moved into the historic West End in Atlanta to help plant Cornerstone Church with a team of his best friends and family, where he currently is serving today. It is my honor to have on the show today, Pastor John Onwachekwa. Pastor John, thank you so much for being here today, man. Jeremy, thanks, man. Uh, It's an honor, man. Glad we finally got a chance to make this work, yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a busy man. I think, you know, most, most of my guests are, and, and it's, and it's rightfully so you're doing a lot of things as that, that intro implies. Um, I, I'm a huge coffee drinker. Uh, my there church actually, my, my church actually has a coffee shop that I, I benefit from exponentially. Um, I love what you're yeah. doing through portrait coffee. And actually I forgot to say it in pre-show, but you, so Lauren Scott, uh, who sings like with Maverick City? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and yeah. All that. She, she's like, she listens to the show, and we've interacted on social media. She's actually going to be on the show next month, and she, oh, she? today and told me that she's linked up with you. So Lauren's twin sister, Aaron Fender, E R I N, mm-hmm. is married to Aaron Fender, A A R O N, my okay. business partner. Right? <laughs> with portrait, right? With portrait yeah, coffee. Yeah, port- port- so so we're all it started wow. off with like our families coming together me and my wife him and his wife and we said yo let's do this and so we all have the specific roles okay. that wow. we yeah well she but, when she when she saw this more i posted this morning on social media that you were coming on and she was super excited and i'm uh, super no. excited to have her on the show because i like uh, how yeah. she leads worship and and writes music she's she's really Absolutely. great but, um, yeah. but yeah so she was she was excited so what i mean before we get into pastoring yeah. i guess i'm just super interested because you don't you don't see a lot of pastors get into the business world which honestly right. if you were sitting in a meeting at my church the guys that i pastor with we're in the we're in the, even in the process right now of saying the marketplace really is where pastors need to be. Right. Um, so what I mean, what are you guys doing with Portrait Coffee? What's what's the goal there? Yeah. So the goal is really to um, start. The goal was to start a business in an economically deprived community like the one in which we live uh, that kind of turns the tide or changes the story. Uh, for a place that's that what some folks would call an opportunity desert, right? Mm-hmm. So the West End is a spot where um, you think like industry, right? Google's not coming to the West End. Tech's right. not coming to the West End. Um, there are people that live in the West End that are gainfully employed elsewhere. There is not gainful employment in the West End that would be able to sustain a family amidst the tidal wave of gentrification and development and stuff that comes through, we hoped to change that, right? And we thought, or not we, well, we thought, and our hypothesis seems to uh, be starting to work out, that coffee is an industry that could um, do just that. It's an Mm. industry that literally, um, it, it grows along the equator, right? So coffee yeah. is something that grows where black and brown folks grow, but the supply chain, by the time it gets up to the place where uh, people are making the most profit off of it, mm-hmm. um, the black and brown folks have been conveniently removed or yeah. left out. And we said, yo, let's try to change that. Mm-hmm. And let's try to do that and then plant our flag here in the West End so that we can create a pathway not just for jobs in the community that we live, but in um, uh, but for careers, right? Yeah. To help change 
the economic destinies of folks that live here. And we, mm. we think, yeah, that's good work. And yeah. we want to do that. Yeah. Well, I love it. I mean, not just because I love coffee, but I love the idea, the philosophy of, uh, you know, like you said, coffee started in in and around the the equatorial right. areas and and somehow we think of seattle when we think of coffee and uh right, that, just right, right, right. that just don't really make sense right. <laughs> um, but uh but so talk to me then about like um and i don't know if people kind of look at you funny because you're a pastor but also in in the business world i love it personally but yeah. i mean have you gotten opportunities through portrait coffee that that you would have never gotten in, in the oh, ministerial absolutely. world absolutely yeah but it's the so it's the type of thing, and I do just want to lead out with the with a whole with the concept of like, man, everything that I've been able to do of significance in my life, I'm able to do as a result of being on a team, right? Yeah. So I think it's like with the little platform that I have and me being able to speak and be the face of things that we do, I think sometimes uh, people assume that the face of something is representative of the totality of it. But at the end of the day, like, yo, this is a good, this is a good idea and a fledgling business without the folks that are a part of our team. Right. Yeah. So when we said, Hey, let's really grow this thing. Um, like I, like I'm not getting paid by the business. Mm -hmm. My, business partner was the first one that came on full time. And he is, Aaron Fender is, he's an operational ninja, right? Mm -hmm. Yoda. So, yeah. and it's like through him, we've been able to build and to create, you know, two full-time jobs, uh, wow. third one. And so it's like, so I get a chance to be involved in it, you know, extracurricularly. So mm -hmm. I use, yeah my 4 a.m. to 6 a.m., my days yeah. off and stuff like that. So it's really like, it, it's it's the type of thing where I think some people look at me funny as if I ride Peter to pay Paul. Sure. And what I say is, no, 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 look, like while you're watching TV <laughs> and while you're sleeping, mm -hmm. I'm up yeah. and I'm trying to do this instead of that. So, yeah. and, and that, calms yeah. the haters down a little bit. I, well, and I, I love that. I mean, it really resonates with, with me and, and kind of how I, I do things. And I, and I can't believe I didn't mention it in the intro. So I'm so sorry, yeah. but the uh, way that I, I've just came, came across you was, was your podcast four in the morning. Okay. And you, you literally wake up for, at four in the morning and, in the uh, in, in you have this show called four in the morning and it's, it's so cool because just, it's a place where you seem to like really process your thoughts and like, just let people into your mind and, and how you're living life and doing ministry. And, yeah. and what I love about you and you kind of hear it even in how you talk about portrait coffee is, yeah. and, and I want to even when we start talking about pastoring, which is yeah. some guys, when they, when they view themselves as a pastor, it's, I stand in a pulpit or on a stage nowadays yeah. and I preach and maybe I might do funerals, do some weddings and things like that. It seems like, it seems to me like whether you're at Cornerstone, whether you're in your tool shed, uh, you know, office recording a podcast or learning Hebrew or learning the guitar, <laughs> right. uh, you know, or making coffee, roasting coffee, you know, doing all that stuff. It's like, do you feel like you're a pastor in every one of those situations? And do you feel like that's kind of like a more of a holistic way that you look at life and ministry? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I definitely think more along the terms of like intersection, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, uh, like me, so, you know, being a pastor of Cornerstone Church, that is, that is something that I'm doing by vocation. Mm -hmm. It is a calling, uh, but I don't think, you know, being a pastor of the church is fundamental to my identity, right? Mm -hmm. I think I make a good pastor because of the person that the Lord has just made me to be. So, so I'm going to be pastoral in any encounter that I interact with you, mm -hmm. unless we're competing in some yeah. sport or board game or all that. Mm -hmm. And then, mm -hmm. yeah my Christianity goes yeah, to right. different places. We all right? take but, hits there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it's the type of thing where it's like, um, man, and I say this all, or, or um, I, I try to say this all the time. It's like, you know, I'm 36 right now. I've been a pastor since I was 23, right? So mm -hmm. this is the only job that I've had in my adult life. And it's, um, it shaped so much of who I am and I'm grateful for it, but I've also lived like under the crushing expectations of people that feel like because you're a pastor that somehow you're like less than a person, like you're not a person, you're a pastor as if it makes me something other. And so part of why I even wanted to create that space or why I share things online is yeah, no, no, yeah. Some days I get up in the morning and I read my Bible and I pray. Some things I get up, some days I get up and the first thing that I do is I have to watch the recap of the Rockets game before yeah. I can focus. Like, yeah. I'm a person and being yeah. a pastor hasn't made me less of one. It's made me more of one because yeah. now I've been forced to see the world through everybody's eyes. Most people think of the world primarily through through their eyes or the list of their favorite contacts. And for 13 years, I've had to see the world through the eyes of uh, moms that have had abortions, right? Uh, people that have had miscarriages, spouses that have cheated, spouses that have been cheated on, heartbreak, highlights, all of that. And so it's like, if anything, I feel like my role as pastor has made me more of a human mm -hmm. and I just want people to see that. So to just yeah. kind of erase some of the misconceptions that come yeah. from being it's, a pastor. It's, I think, I mean, I think you're, you're so right because it does seem though, like either people expect a pastor to be somebody they can put on a pedestal, you know, so right. like maybe, maybe, oh, I'm going to hold this guy to really, really high and he better not fail me. Or yeah. like you said, sometimes it's almost like people treat pastors like Levites or like somebody who's taken a vow of poverty and just like, Hey, you're just here to, to serve the church. And it's like, no, yeah. like we, we have families too. Oh, I have yeah. interests too. Like <laughs> right. I'm fans of sports teams too. And, and in my experience, it's, it's when like, so, you know, I'm sure that there are people listening who are pastors who work in church ministers of any kind who feel as if like, I can't let anybody know who I really am, but right. it's like, no, that's when your ministry really gets unlocked. Like when people really feel like some of like, the greatest joy I've seen in people's eyes is when they feel like, like, like they'll, somebody will call them and they'll be like, Hey, what are you doing? And they look at me and like, they're like, yeah, I'm with my friend, Jeremy. And, right. and like, that's like a whole thing that people, yeah. I just don't think have been privileged 
to no. experience because the generations of pastors have been told like, no, you are wholly other than you're a pastor. Yeah. yeah. Or, or it's like, yo, and I just feel like, man, especially for the pastors that may yeah, you tune in, uh, it's dangerous and it's harmful for your soul too, because you start to believe that it's like, if I have people that are friends that are closer friend, like mm-hmm. I've got to treat everybody the way that I treat my friends. Mm-hmm. And that's just untrue. Yeah. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, not that there's anything wrong with folks, but uh, they, there are people that are a part of the church that it's like the most helpful thing for, for me has been, there are folks that are a part of the church that are genuinely my friends. They are my close mm-hmm. friends. Yeah. I call them to vent. I call them to cry. I, I call them to share my joys, yeah. my highlights. I check in on them and, 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 and they check in on me. Right. And then there are folks that are a part of the church that, that it's like, all right, listen, I can be friendly. Um, but we aren't friends <laughs> yeah. and it's okay. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Cause if because if you expect me to be a friend to you in the same way that I am to, you know, Joe, Kellum, David, mm-hmm. Keith, Richard, like, um, then it's like, oh, you're going to be frustrating me. I'm going to make a terrible friend. I just, mm-hmm. I just don't have the bandwidth to yeah. be friends like that. I would make a bad friend. You would hate me as a friend. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather you just love me as a pastor yeah. and let me fulfill that role. Mm-hmm. And I'd love to help to connect you to yeah. get friends. But it's yeah. like that, that's that been the most freeing thing. I want pastors to like, yeah. yo, you're free to, to have friends and mm-hmm. you're free to say no to offers for friendship. And I know mm-hmm. that sounds harsh, but it's- yeah. No, I, th- I mean, I personally agree. Of course, I'm, I'm, I have a vested interest in agreeing with that sentiment as a, as a pastor, <laughs> right. but like, but I mean, it's just healthy. Like, you know, like you said, I like, I've never heard it referred to bandwidth. I have very limited bandwidth some days. Yeah. Like I just yeah. don't have a ton to give. And so I got to be right. selective. And of course, you know, my wife and children need, need to be oh, higher yeah. on that list than right. the person who needs counseling even. And so, right. um, but you know what, what I find really interesting about you, I mean, there's a million things I find interesting about you, but specifically, yeah is that you planted in the West end of Atlanta. Um, I'm not too far from Atlanta. I'm not intimately familiar with it like you are, but the West end is the oldest neighborhood in the city. I think it, like I I saw somewhere where it actually predates the city of Atlanta, the city of Atlanta. Yeah. And now though, I mean, over a long process of time, the number I saw was it's 80, 86% African-American somewhere around there. And so it's a very, you know, I mean, um, I think Atlanta is one of the the most ethnically diverse cities in the whole country. Um, but you, you know, you're predominantly in a place, um, that is African-American, but this is, this is what I love. And this made my heart skip a beat when I read this on, on Cornerstone's website, it said that West end is a spiritual center. And it best describes uh, this word spiritual center best describes the diversity of faiths and theological confusion that exists in the West End. Orthodox Muslims, Black Hebrew Israelites, Rastafarians, Shrine of the Black Madonna, uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholics, Wiccans, Egyptologists, uh, Seventh-day Adventist atheists, and a great many religious expressions all reside in this relatively small area. I deal academically with world religions. That's part of what I do with all things, all people. So when I read that, I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm there. Like, so, you know, I'll, I'll, that's exciting to me, but daunting, I'm sure as a pastor to drive through your neighborhood, know that your mission as a pastor is to 
you know, bring the hope of the gospel to your community. And you probably sometimes feel like you're up against literally the, the world. What's it like pastoring in a place as diverse? And like you said, even maybe socioeconomically has some struggles that most places don't have. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the first things that I would say as well is like, you know, we, we, we planted the church in the West End in 2015, and I'm going to use that word we, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Richard Mullen, Amanda Mullen, Lawrence and Eric, 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 and Erica Brown, Montreal and Marika Mitchell. They were three families that moved into the West End in 2011. None of them were vocationally ministerial. They all had jobs. And they moved in to be an expression of the gospel. And I feel like they did the hard work. So they did that, the ordinary work of evangelism, loving their neighbors, community development. Like, yeah, yeah. Like, so they did the work of, <laughs> you know, cutting people out of duct tape after they were dropped out of a car being oh. abducted for some time. They did the hard work of Jeez. like kneeling down with folks in the street after somebody that they knew got murdered and they got run over. They dealt with that and they lived through that. And the hope of the gospel came through ordinary people in a way where, you know, in 2014, there's a group of like 40 folks there that have come to faith that have like joined on with their group and there's a slew of people that didn't share the same Christian background saying things like, I'm not a Christian, I've never been a fan of Jesus, but there's something about the way that y'all's community loves one another that we think that if y'all started a church there, we would come. Mm-hmm. And I was swallowed up into that realm, right? So at the, the end of the day, right? Don't let the face fool you, right? Yeah, Don't judge right. a book by its cover. There's so much more that went into mm-hmm. that. Um, but I do think it's like, a man, if you look at the surroundings, sometimes it does feel hopeless. Or you look at the fact like, man, I've been here with my family six years. And there's sometimes I look up and I just say, yo, have we, have we done anything? Right. I feel like we failed more in what we've done and have we made the headway that we wanted to, but I'm reminded of the fact like, nah, like we have learned and there have been it souls that have come to faith. There've been, you know, destinies of folks that have changed. There've been marriages that have happened. There have been babies that have been born. There have been like, I, 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 I think we've really gone a long way and kind of dug some roots deep here. And we're just praying that in the years to come, God would con- continue to grow these trees. So one of the things that we're going to do with our church here and yeah, 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 yeah. 2021, as we've seen, hey, that's been true of the community for as long as we've been here. As a church, I think we've gotten caught up by some of the trappings of um, Western Christian prosperity that we've given our attention mm-hmm. to some things that contribute to, you know, external visions of success. But internally, I, I think we've um, neglected some important things. So mm-hmm. 2021 is really going to be a year where we examine those religions and equip our church to be able 
to engage. And so in those ways, it kind of feels like, hey, Lord, we're doing the best that we can. Yeah. And I think we're headed in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So Lord, would you either confirm that we are and put some wind in our sails, or would you stop us in our tracks and reroute us? Mm-hmm. And our main thing is, yo, we're just gonna move forward and just trust that, yeah, with each step of the way, we're gonna be as faithful as we can to where God has called us to be right now. Mm-hmm. And we'll trust that if we do that right now, yeah. that wherever we end up is where God would have us. Yeah. Well, I know that for, for me, I can only speak for myself yeah. and really the guys I, I pastor with is 2020. And it's almost a joke at this point to talk <laughs> oh, about man. how rough 2020 has oh, been, man. but I know for us, it was, it exposed us a, a little bit to ourselves of if you place too much emphasis on the show on Sunday, on your sermon oh, on Sunday, on the lights, like, and that stuff's yep. fine. But if we, we really figured out like how much we cared about that stuff and, and we were even corrected a little bit to go, well, well geez, like, you know, and, and thank goodness, like we, you know, we right. were able to adjust. I know you guys were able to adjust, but like what going into 2021, I guess, like what, what in your mind is a little bit different now? Because it's like, it's gotta be different now. Right. Oh yeah. 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 Um, so I think, you know, one of the things that 2020 has taught us is um, how, all right, and let me say this without sounding sacrilegious. Dude, um, yeah, it don't matter. 2020 has taught us um, that we placed a lot of weight on, or that we um, placed a whole lot of, or we we forwent I don't even know if that's worth we didn't do certain things because mm-hmm. we felt like the best way to do those things was in gathering and we mm-hmm. didn't utilize technology as much as we could for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So I'll say it like this like we looked at the capacity of our church to gather. And we tried to maximize that capacity and fit a lot of teaching and instruction into times when we could gather. And 2020 has taught us there's a lot of equipping that we could have done had we given ourselves to preparation and stewarding the technology that the Lord Mm -hmm. has brought to us. So it's really put us in a spot where it's like, all right, no, yeah, yeah. You know, church on Zoom or online, all right, yeah, that's not what we're, right? Yeah. There's an aspect of we do need to physically gather to be there. But it's like, um, man, I can't imagine that if the Apostle Paul had access to Zoom and YouTube and, uh, you know, a DSLR camera and podcasting Mm. that he would do less than what he did. I feel like he would do everything that he can to equip the church. So mm-hmm. um, so yeah. we've started to do things like that, right? So one mm-hmm. thing that we did starting in the fall was um, uh, one thing that we did starting in the fall was uh, we said, hey, the school year is getting ready to start. I know 2020 has been a mess let's do new beginnings together. And one of the ways that we could do that was, hey, 
everybody wants to read the Bible in a year. Mm -hmm. Let's help our church do that. Yeah. Uh, church, we want you to know that the Bible is more like a window than a mirror. You go to windows to look through them and see something that is not you. And that's where joy comes from. You don't mm -hmm. go to it to primarily yeah. look at you. Mm -hmm. The Bible is a book for us, but it is about God. Let's treat the Bible like a window. And so we said, hey, let's build out this plan, read four chapters per day. And me and mm -hmm. uh, one, of, one of my young guys at the church, Keith, uh, we said, hey, let's do a daily devotional podcast where we cover four chapters of the Bible per day. And mm -hmm. yeah, we've done that since August the 10th, six days mm -hmm. per week. And we're in the Psalms right now. And wow. things like that have been great for our church. A bunch of folks in our church that have yeah. never read Leviticus, right? Yeah, have yeah. engaged and said, yo, this is dope. Yeah. 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 Or yeah. yeah, we, we, we start the three, the, the Bible in a year and then we, we quit right. around Leviticus or numbers or something like yeah. that. But no, that, I mean, that's, that's really encouraging because yeah. I know we felt the same way is like, um, one of the guys I work with, who's been a great influence in me, he, you know, we, we know this isn't necessarily the most appropriate way to use this verse, but we, we talk about new wine is like, right. we we're in a, we're in a season of new wine. Like don't, don't neglect this newness right. that's that's here like embrace it because it's you know the pandemic you know lord willing will come to an end um, right. some of the things we're dealing with but the technology is only going to continue to become more and more right. influential on in our society yeah. and if the church i mean you think about like gutenberg luther uh john wesley you know all these guys who like they were they were on the cutting edge people don't realize that enough but right. they say like oh we got printing press presses now well everybody's going to own a bible soon Right. You know, and yeah. or at least be able to read it. Yeah. And I'm like, I know that sounds crazy to say about yeah. YouTube or podcasting, but I think it's more true than it isn't. And, and oh, past, past, yeah, pastors have to be on the forefront of saying, I'm not technologically adept, but we're going to figure this out and leverage it for the gospel. Just like, just like business too. We're going to start a coffee company. We see that our neighborhood doesn't have enough business. The church is going to start a business. I agree. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah. So those are things that we're, <laughs> well, that's, that's awesome. But yeah, well, man, dope, yeah. man, it's good to hear. Well, I mean, it's good. Yeah. Same, same here, <laughs> right. but, <laughs> but you know, I, I guess one thing, man, like when, when, you know, you and I worked hard to get this, this interview done and, and in the, you know, in the months preceding it, yeah. I, one thing that's been on my heart that I want to talk to you about just even somewhat briefly, because I know, um, you know, to be an African-American pastor in the, in, in the country right now, you probably feel yeah. like every, every podcast and everybody's like, Hey, this is the guy that we're going to talk to about racial yeah. justice, yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah. but, but man, what's been convicting to me is you know, I pastor in a small town in North Carolina. Um, I don't know the demographics off the top of my head, but it, my church has, has, has talked about in the last few months, the things that are going on with, with justice and specifically racial justice and, and things like that. But the reality is, and this is sort of a confession is my church d probably didn't, didn't feel like we had to, like we could right. probably get away with not addressing it because right. we are predominantly um, white in my church and in my, in my town, most likely overwhelmingly predominantly white. I imagine at Cornerstone, it didn't feel like something that could be swept under the rug. It very much oh, felt no. like something, you know, that was just like, this is our life. So right. I, I guess instead of saying, Hey man, how do we fix this? Or I've heard you address that. And, and to anybody who's listening, who wants to hear John give some more practical uh, explanations. Like I've seen, I've, I've watched all the interviews you did with Verge network and those were okay. really good and things like yeah. that. But, but t what would you say 
to pastors like me who can get away with not addressing it? What would you say to guys like me who it's not, I don't live in pastor in the West end where this is, Hey, this is my life too, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, what kind of encouragement challenge would you give to Christians, pastors, everybody who, who right now says this isn't really my problem. Um, yeah. Cause I don't, I don't think that that's, that that's true at all anyway, but, um, yeah. but we can slip into that feeling. And I know that that's not how you feel. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, don't go to Tarshish. Right. <laughs> so it kind of feels like, yeah, people just feel like, yo, like, yeah, this isn't really my problem. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. well, it is because even if folks aren't in your church, our world is more connected than it's ever been. Right. We've never, met we've never been mm-hmm. physically in the same location right. mm-hmm. but here we are mm-hmm. um and i do think it's a uh, you know if the church the body of christ right the big c church is really a family then you don't get to determine importance based on what right mm-hmm. um you don't have the luxury to determine a importance based on affinity you have to determine importance based on who, right? Mm. Um, so it's like this, like, I don't particularly enjoy um, all the songs in Moana or mm. The Little Mermaid or all of those films, but I know all of them. I know yeah, every right. word to all of them. Why? Uh, I could care less about the what but I've got a who in my life. She's three and a half years old and she loves it. And so, yeah, I have to be involved in it based because it affects somebody um, that I love. And I feel like that's what the church can do. So even if it's not specifically in your church, yeah. if the goal of the ministers is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, the people in your church, even if even if they don't come into the front doors of your church, they um, interact with folks that are not like them online mm-hmm. and in the world. And I think one of the best things that you can do is just be informed, be informed, mm-hmm. right? There's lots mm-hmm. of folks that'll say, yeah, well, I don't agree about this and I don't mm-hmm. agree about this and there's no such thing as this. And so I'm just saying, yo, 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 be informed, like mm-hmm. read. We yeah. read and, and, and we study a whole bunch of stuff and we go to seminary and we think that we know what we think that we know. And then we go and we read and we learn stuff. And do you know what convictions change? And then we pastor and convictions change some more. And we think that our public school education on history uh, gives us all of what we need to be able to deal with the complex realities of what goes on in our world. And all Mm -hmm. I'm saying is, yo, yeah, read history, inform mm-hmm. your churches of, about things that have actually gone on so that we all have a sobered perspective on what goes on. And then from there, let's talk about mm-hmm. what we can do, right? The application points for how we address these things are going to be different in downtown Atlanta than they are in Western North mm-hmm. Carolina, but there still is an application yeah. point. Yeah. 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 I've heard you say something too, that I think people just need to realize is like you, 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 I've heard you mention say like, Hey, 
when you go to a church and, you know, when a white person moves into a black neighborhood and they sit in a church service and they didn't get that joke or they, they didn't get the punchline of this story or something like that. And they begin to feel like this is kind of weird. Like, I don't, I feel like, you know, and really what kind of what you're alluding to there is like, imagine your entire life. You felt yeah, like you didn't get all the jokes. That's yeah. what black people feel like in, in white America, you know? Yeah. And, and I can't, I mean, I've traveled a lot and I can remember the first time I got onto a plane to go to South Asia and I looked around and I was the only white person there. And I remember it was, a, it was a huge moment in my life. Cause I was like, Oh, this feels so, I feel like everybody's looking at me because they probably right. were yeah. and probably trying to figure out what is he doing here? And I went it was like a light bulb. I, we, I grew up in, right outside of Chicago, but I grew up in Wheaton, which is like a really yeah, uh, affluent yeah. suburb. And like, yeah. so it was like the first time of my life, the light bulb clicked. And I went, Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, wow. This so is being, what it's like to also be being a minority only- is like even harder than I thought. And, right? and we can't simplify it to, you know, Hey, you know, this is just how things were. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, so I, that's why I appreciate your perspective on it so much. And, you know, you've, you've really been one of the leading voices that I've been aware of in, in yeah. saying, Hey, we got to change some things. And, you know, somewhat well-known uh, your church you, you left the Southern Baptist convention um, yeah. over some of the issues with the Southern Baptist convention conventions history uh, in regards to racism and their, their refusal in some people's eyes to address it um, appropriately. Yeah. But in talking about that, you well, want to let me go ahead. Oh. No, 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 go ahead. Well, go ahead. yeah. So, a clarifying point. Yeah. Um, the Southern Baptist history mm-hmm. had zero percent to do with what I with why I left. Mm-hmm. I left the Southern Baptist Convention a hundred percent because of their present, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like I came in full well knowing the history, mm-hmm. and I think I that I thought there was a little more synergy and congruence with everybody's understanding of the history and commitment to use the present to chart a new way forward and maybe undo some of that. Mm -hmm. And I basically came to the conclusion in the present that there was more dissonance than I thought more dissonance than I felt like would be both helpful and productive. And so based on the present, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, was, well, was why I left. And there's a, there's an article that you wrote that I think was on front porch that people can reference um, that, that lays out the reasons. And I thought it was right. very, very eloquent. I appreciated it. But, but in that um, I think it was in that same article and talking about that, yeah. you talking about how to, how to, how to deal with this, how to talk about this. You said it can't be discovered with surface level discussions and strategies, right. scuba gear is needed to take a yeah. deep dive into the racial history of our country and convention. Yeah. And so, I, I mean, I laughed when I read scuba gear, but then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, man, we really do need to take a deep dive. So right. what does the future look like then if, if guys like you guys, like me, men and women, you know, both, um, in the church, whether, whether it be Baptist or what, yeah. typically, you know, with organizations like gospel coalition, we're going to emphasize yeah. evangelicals, but yeah. well, what does the future look like then in your mind of, of pastors and Christians pioneering a world in which we aren't just 
happy to say, well, it doesn't really affect me, so I'm not right. going to talk about it. And then we leave churches in the West End to say, nobody really cares about what we're dealing with here. So what, right. I don't know, man, uh, what, what do you kind of see in, 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 as far as the future and what we need to be focused on? Yeah, so let me start, and I'm glad you asked it the way that you did. So here's the hope, right? So um, what's this? Like, you know, so a lot of people think or they assume that 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 I left the SBC or groups like that out of a sense of despair. Mm-hmm. But it's like, nah, I mean, when you leave something despondent, you wind up in a depression. And mm-hmm. I feel like depressed is not what I feel. I feel hopeful. I feel light. Like it was hope that inspired me to leave the way that I did because I just felt like if we're ever gonna move forward, this has to be a mainstream conversation. It's gotta dominate the mainstream of what's talked about. Like that if we're gonna talk about the SBC, let's talk about race. Like let's mm-hmm. not not talk about it. And so I think yeah. part part of the intent I I didn't expect my letter would change anything sure. except for conversation topics. And I felt like that's the first step. And so in that sense, it's like, yeah, I, I left out of a sense of hope. But the hope is if the church really gets it, right, this is the thing, that if the church really gets it, then it's like, man, everybody talks about, so, take a thing like reparations, right? Mm-hmm. How divisive it is, sure. right? So some some folks are like, the US has to do this. And some folks are like, that's communism era. I don't want yeah. to forcibly have this removed yeah, yeah, from us. While the rest of the world does that, I think from a Christian standpoint or from a church standpoint, we can reframe that conversation and think of it not in something that's being snatched from us, but in charity. And you can see the church being charitable. And what would it be like while the rest of the world is fighting over this, that people look inside of the church and say, yo, wait a minute. Hey, y'all, look, this is a global problem that nobody can solve. But Mm -hmm. this group of people has solved it, right? We live in a world that that's pragmatic. People mm-hmm. do things because they see somebody else has done it and it's worked. The problem is nobody has solved this. And I do think that God has provided us with a roadmap to be able to solve this. And so I, I think if the church ever gets to a place where um, it starts to address the issues of racism, the things that have caused it, and they start to talk about how the gospel brings tangible and actual solutions to some of these problems, instead of arguing about critical race theory and its role, then I think that the church can lead the way and be salt and light to the world. But where the church doesn't do that, the church actually is not just a like it's it's not just there 
irrelevant, but the church actually becomes a repellent for anybody that looks for hope. They they mm. they say things like, "Yo, I don't know what to do. All I know is don't do what they're doing." Right, mm -hmm. and yeah. it's like, like we talk so much about the church being relevant, um, and we disregard how much of a repellent of hope that the church mm -hmm. has been when it doesn't get this one thing right. But yeah, yeah God's yeah. never left himself without a witness yeah. in the world. And so I'm hopeful, right? Mm -hmm. I'm incredibly hopeful that something will change. Yeah. And it seems like, man, Christians, especially, I mean, Protestants, evangelicals, because we're so used to dividing over denominational differences, over theological differences, is it's like we become much more known for what we don't believe or what we don't like. And right. so we're quick, like you mentioned CRT to a listener, critical race theory is like the buzzword right now. Every time I right. go on Twitter, I see more about it. And, and it's this person wrote a letter The you know, just recently the six Southern Baptist seminary presidents wrote right. a letter saying, yeah, this is uh, not congruent with biblical teaching. And, you know, that's what their prerogative, but it was seen largely as, okay, without addressing the issues that CRT is, is addressing, you've now denounced this thing, which, which maybe it is unbiblical, but what people were desiring to see, I think was, Hey, why don't you address racism before right. you denounce CRT? Yeah. And, and so it seems like we got to do what you're saying is like, the idea is like, Hey, nobody, nobody really cares what you don't agree with, but what do, right. what do you, what, who do you love? Like, you, yeah. you know, like what, what is it that you do agree? Tell me what you agree with before you right. tell me what you don't agree with. Like, tell yeah. me that you do value my life before you say that this particular iteration of critical theory, it might be flawed. Right. Um, and then, you know, too, like I, I've heard you say one time that what gives you hope and what allows you to get through the day probably specifically pastoring in a, in, in a world where this is maybe an everyday thought for you is the idea yeah. that so often the justice that we see in the Bible, and then even in our own lives brought about by the Lord is slower than we would hope that it would be, but yep. we see it's still there. And mm -hmm. so even though it's slower than we would design it, it's, it's happening. And, and, and right. so like, I don't know what kind of encouragement that might give to a listener who looks around and says, it doesn't seem to matter what I do today. Right. But you know, it seems like what I've heard you say time and time again is let's, you know, let's not be foolish to think that this stuff isn't happening, that there isn't anything we can do, but then let's also, our faith is found in the fact that like God is working, like he is working. And even through conversations, I think hopefully like this one where, yeah. you know, where, it might not happen as quick as we want it to, but it's going to happen. And we also can't use that slowness as an excuse to say, well, it doesn't really matter. Right. You know, obviously yeah. God, obviously God's at work. And so, so I, I, I don't know, man, it's just like for somebody, you know, for somebody on my end of things, it's easy to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to let John O worry about it, you know, but right. it's like, but we're family. Like we're, yeah. we're at the same table. And ultimately, like you said, we, we should be a city on a Hill where people Absolutely. look to us and say, I don't like, their music. I don't like how they do this and do this and do this, but they seem to be getting it and no one else, no one yeah. else is. Right. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, I take, I take great encouragement from you on that. Yeah. Um, and then also too, man, like to me, I, I don't know, like what place in your mind is like kind of a, a I've heard you use the phrase righteous anger. Um, yeah. you know, like the idea of like, you're, you're a really laid back guy. Uh, you know, you, I think you're very easy to get along with. At what point 
do you think that the prophetic voice in regards to to not just racial justice but justice is this becomes a righteous anger that we need oh, to, yeah. to demonstrate what i mean kind of how does that fit into this whole thing yeah so um yeah um john chrysostom uh, I think it's him that says, um, you know, he who is angry without cause sins, mm. uh, but he who is not angry when he should be also sins. Wow. It's this unreasonable patience that gives rise to the vices of evil men, right? And so it's this concept of, so, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I'm level-headed and I'm cool yeah. and I try to yeah, <laughs> yeah, smile yeah, yeah. and joke and yeah, yeah, I I may throw like clown gifs at uh, people that, yeah, 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 yeah come I'm through kind it. of spicy on the timeline, right? I love it. I uh, love it. Yeah. <laughs> but there are times where it's like, oh no, like this, like this angers me and it angers the Lord and I think, um, there is a time, I think, when, um, yeah, there's a time when kind of righteous anger needs to show up. And mm-hmm. I do think it's, you know, it's a tough balance just because, you know, James one twenty is true that yeah. man's anger often doesn't exemplify the righteousness of God. But I think sometimes we've taken that verse and weaponized it against people that are rightly and justly angry. And mm-hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't know the formula for it, right. but I imagine that I imagine that things will change and that tide will start to turn and not to put this on my white brothers and sisters, but um, when when we see, I think, more of our white brothers and sisters be a little less cool, calm, collected, and the voice of reason in all of these, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 cases that it's like, um, sometimes the most reasonable response isn't cool, calm, and collected talk. It's mm-hmm it's anger when the poor are being exploited and the house of God seem apathetic or like they're advancing off of it. There is a time to throw over tables. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, I think it's like, uh, yeah, often when we do it, like we're, we're accused of being the angry black man, Right. And I'm like, y'all know me. Like, <laughs> if, jo- know if John's flipping tables, then that's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, I mean, I know, I know. <laughs> John is man, like contentious, <laughs> like sarcastic. Yes, yeah. like mm-hmm. contentious, and that's mm-hmm. the thing, right? Yeah. You know, if John starts to get, y'all, yeah. then but there's something, something wrong. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. Right. Well, man, I, I mean, I, I can personally say, I, I kind, I'm kind of like you, I. I view myself as somebody who can, Hey, I, I think everything's going to be okay. Right. Um, it's going to work itself out. Don't worry. And the conviction that's been on my heart is like, the Lord's like, Jeremy, it's not going to be okay. It's not yeah. just going to be like, it is going to be okay, but <laughs> it's not going to work itself out. 
Like, and, right. and I, to, to my listeners who, who, you know, hear in your voice, just kind of like, I know you're trying to say things without, you know, coming across as, as angry, but I, I agree a hundred percent. It's like, it is going to take people who have experienced privilege, who, who have the privilege of being level-headed, right. Of the privilege of, of saying, oh, it's going to be okay. Cause it's going to be okay for, right. for, for you, right. you know, but, yeah. but that's, that's to me. And that's my own personal conviction. And even hearing you say that and to, to any listener who's like, well, what, what, what do you, we do, you know, cause it seems, it seems helpless for me, man. The number yeah. one thing has been to say, you know, who probably has the answers, someone like John, not me, right. you know, or at least, right. like, or at least the beginnings of the answers. Cause yeah. ultimately it's going to be a family, oh, yeah. a family affair, but, but I just see too many people who, you know, I've never experienced anything like that. And, yeah. and for me to think that I can start putting together the, the answers is pretty foolish. Right. And so I've just been looking forward to listening to you in all honesty. Uh, thank and, you, brother. And, and just, and hopefully more and more conversations and they are, I mean, I, I'm not by no means, is this the only conversation on this topic, right. but, but there needs to be more people in positions of, of uh, privilege, you know, right. or just people who, you know, have had the privilege of not having to talk about this yeah. <laughs> um, to say, I'm going to listen. Like I'm not right. going to pretend as if I know the answers because I don't even really understand the problem. Right. Um, and so, yeah. so man, uh, I, I view you as, as a phenomenal pastor, as a, as, as somebody right. that from afar, I've enjoyed reading and listening to yeah. um, seeing what's coming out of Cornerstone and the West end, but I've, I've really in, enjoyed this conversation. Hopefully yeah. in the future, we can do something like this again, but to, to anybody, to anybody, to anybody who's listening, please follow John on Twitter, yeah. on Instagram. Not only is it, is it really fun and good content, <laughs> but it's also challenging. And you have this way of kind of like with a smile, letting people know like, Hey, it's things aren't okay right now, you <laughs> right. know? Um, right. And so I, I really appreciate that. Well, and and I you, hope, brother. Yeah. And I hope that things are continuing to grow there in the West end and oh, thank that, you, that that neighborhood is continue as I know it has been blessed by cornerstone yeah. blessed by you. And like you said, your, your team, that's a really special thing for, yeah. for the, for the pastor to not have really planted the church for the pastor yeah. to be adopted by the people who Part did plant team. it. So, yeah. so, I, so I love it, but John, thank you. Thank you so much for your time today, brother. It was so, thank so, you, so good to talk to you. And oh, man, uh, I know it was a blessing to a lot of people. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Jeremy, man. This was awesome. Thank you, brother. Thank you.